Chapter Thirty Five of Opening a Chestnut Burr by Edward P. Rowe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Like Many Waters. Chapter Thirty Five A Chestnut Burr and a Home. When Gregory reached Paris, to his grief and consternation, he found a dispatch informing him of the sudden death of old Mr. Burnett and the illness of Mr. Seymour, the other partner. Return instantly, it read. The senior clerk is coming out to take your place. At first it appeared a double grief that he could scarcely endure, for it seemed that if he went back now Annie would be lost to him beyond hope. But after thinking it all over he became calmer. It may be best, after all, for as my wife she is lost to me beyond hope, and God sees that I am not strong enough to meet her often yet and sustain myself and so snatches me from the temptation thus little children guess at the meaning of an earthly father but gregory did what a child should do he trusted he wrote a warm but hasty note to annie which through some carelessness was never delivered attended to some necessary matters and was just in time to catch the french steamer outward bound when annie reached paris she learned in dismay that he had sailed for new york seemingly he had left no message no explanation all they could learn at his hotel was that he had received a dispatch summoning him instantly home annie was deeply wounded though she tried to believe that he had written and that the letter had been missent or lost a thousand conjectures of evil ran in her mind and the thought of his being again on the ocean which she now so dreaded at the stormiest season of the year was a source of deep anxiety in her morbid fears she even thought that the scheming hunting might have something to do with it she gave way to despondency then her aunt tried to comfort her by saying annie i am sure i understand you both better than you do each other and i think i can write mr gregory a line which will clear up everything but the quiet little lady was quite frightened by the way in which annie turned upon her as you love me auntie she said never write a line on this subject i am not one to seek but must be sought even by gregory not one line i charge you containing a hint of my feelings well annie darling she said gently it's all going to come out right but annie in her weak depressed state saw only the dark side as with gregory there was nothing for her but patient trust but when in due time there came a dispatch from him announcing his safe arrival she was greatly reassured the light came back into her eyes and the color to her cheeks what kind of medicine have you been taking to-day asked her uncle slyly she has been treated with electricity miss eulie remarked quietly oh auntie said annie with a deep blush when did i ever hear you indulge in such a witticism before and when some days later she received a cordial brotherly letter from gregory relating all that had occurred a deep content stole into her heart and she felt with miss eulie that all would eventually be well she replied scrupulously in like vein with himself and thus began a correspondence that to each became a source of the truest happiness their letters were intensely brotherly and sisterly in character 
but annie felt almost sure that under his fraternal disguise she detected the warmth and glow of a far stronger affection and before many months had passed he hoped the same of her dainty letters though he could not lay his finger on a single word and say this proves it but annie's warm heart unconsciously colored the pages nevertheless of hunting he briefly wrote god pity him in may gregory was glad to find that he would have to go to europe again and purposed to give annie a surprise but he received only a very sad one himself for on arriving at paris he learned to his intense disappointment that mr kemp and his party had suddenly decided to return home he was eventually comforted by receiving a letter from annie showing clearly that she had been as greatly disappointed as himself but womanlike most of the letter was an effort to cheer him still he was growing almost superstitious at the manner in which she seemed to elude his loving grasp and sighed i fear she will always prove to me a spirit of the air one bright morning in the ensuing october gregory again greeted like the face of a friend the shores of his native country and the thought that annie was beyond that blue line of land thrilled his heart with impatient expectation as they approached sandy hook the pilot brought aboard a new york paper and as he was carelessly glancing over it his eyes were caught by an advertisement of the sale by auction of the walton estate his old home he saw by the date that the sale would not take place till the following day and he now felt sure that he could give annie a double surprise for he had not written of his return he had learned from annie that her father must have entrusted large sums to hunting which could not be accounted for and that beyond the country place not much had been left he rightly guessed that this place was about to be sold to provide means for the support of the family he was surprised that annie had not written to him about the sale and indeed she had wished to thinking that he might like to buy it but mr kemp had dissuaded her saying that it was not at all probable that gregory had the means to buy so large a property and judging gregory by himself he added a business man does not want a country place anyway besides annie if you should suggest it it might be a source of much pain to him to feel that he could not but as soon as gregory was ashore he hunted up one of his senior clerks and instructed him to go up the following morning and buy the place at any cost but not to let any one know it was for him he also told him to assure the family that they need not vacate the place in any haste it soon became evident at the sale that the stranger from the city was determined to have the property and the other bidders gave way when the clerk returned that evening gregory plied him with questions and learned that miss walton seemed to have great regret at leaving and was very grateful when told that she could take her own time for departure in fact annie grudged every october day at the old place that brought the past back so vividly gregory could not forbear asking with a slight flush how did miss walton look like her surroundings said the clerk politely blind and not like a city belle mr gregory i congratulate you on possessing the most homelike place on the river gregory took the earliest train the following morning and at noon found himself by the cedar thicket again with a strange thrill as he recalled all that had occurred there and since 
he sat down to rest for a moment on the rock where annie had first found him more than a year before beneath him lay his home his now in truth embowered in crimson and golden foliage that seemed doubly bright in the genial october sunlight while at his very feet were the orchards laden boughs beneath which he had proved to annie the reality and depth of his love and there beyond was the cottage of daddy tugger with that old man smoking upon the porch but chief of all he could mark the very spot by the brook in the garden where annie's hand like an angel's had plucked him from the brink of despair and given him the first faint hope of immortal life tears blinded his eyes but the bow of promise shone in them as he looked heavenward and said merciful father how kind of thee in view of my past to give me this dear earnest of my heavenly home the sound of approaching steps aroused him and springing up he saw through the thicket with an emotion so deep that it made him tremble the one woman of the world to him with an expression of deep sadness and the manner of one taking a lingering leave of a very dear friend annie came slowly toward him along the brow of the hill he tried to still even the beating of his heart for he would not lose one moment of exquisite anticipation and yet he was deeply agitated for he knew that he could not maintain the brotherly disguise an hour longer suddenly she looked toward the cedar thicket and as if recalling what had occurred there covered her face with her hands to hide the painful scene then he saw that she would not even come to the place but was turning to go to the house by another way he darted out from his concealment and rushed toward her at first in wild alarm she put her hand to her side and leaned against a chestnut tree for support then recognizing him with a glad cry she permitted him to take her in his arms while she hid her face on his shoulder a moment later they recoiled from each other in blushing confusion well said gregory stupidly she was the first to recover herself and said oh walter i'm so so glad you have come at last do i look sorry he asked taking her hand oh she exclaimed this is too good to be true that's what i think i feared you would take flight the moment i appeared when did you arrive come tell me everything not all at once dear annie but let me give you a seat on the rock beside the thicket and then i will say the catechism please no walter not there she said drawing back yes there we will give that place a new association but she was glad to reach the seat for she trembled so she could hardly stand then he told her how he purposed to surprise her and answered every eager question oh annie he concluded how i have longed for this hour never did that dreadful ocean seem so wide before she looked at him more fondly than she knew and said ah walter your blood is not on my hands after all let me see he said i know it is not she replied putting them behind her back don't i see you there well and happy i don't know but it will be on your hands yet he said half tragically springing up she gave him a swift look of inquiry but her eyes dropped as quickly beneath his eager gaze 
while her deep blush caused her to vie with the sugar-maple on the lawn in very truth. But he said after a moment, Annie, dear, won't you let me interpret another chestnut burr for you? Certainly, Walter, she tried to say innocently, all there are on the tree. Now don't make fun of me, because I'm desperately in earnest. I don't want one like that I chose with a great lonely worm-infested chestnut in it. What a good wholesome lesson you gave me then. Thank you, Annie, darling. Brothers don't use such strong language toward their sisters, said Annie, looking on the ground. I can't help it. To tell the honest truth, I'm not much of a brother. Neither do I want one like that which you chose with three chestnuts in it. Three, faw, I've had enough of that. I want to find one like that which you brought me the first day I met you here. You will never find it if you stand talking forever. You won't go away? Perhaps not. He looked at her doubtfully, but she would not meet his eye. Then he started on his search, but kept looking back so often that she laughed and said, I'm not a chestnut burr. I'm afraid of you. Then you had better run away. Sisters shouldn't tease their brothers. Well, forgive me this time. He caught a branch full of half-opened burrs and peered eagerly in them till he found one to his mind, and pulled it off regardless of the pricking spines then came and kneeled at her side and said now annie dear look into it carefully this is nature's oracle you see two solid plump chestnuts well she said faintly and you see this false empty form of shell between them yes with a touch of sadness that's hunting poor wretch how unspeakable was his loss and he tossed the worthless emblem away and now, Annie, loved beyond all words I can ever find to tell you, see how near these two chestnuts are together, as near as you and I are in heart, I trust. Surely my poor pretense of brotherly character has not deceived you for a moment. Won't you please put your dainty fingers down into the burr and join the two together? She lifted her drooping eyes a moment to the more eloquent pleading of his face, but they fell as speedily. In a low, thrilling tone, she said, No, Walter, but you may. He dropped the burr and sealed the unspoken covenant upon her lips. After a few moments, he said, very gently and gravely, Annie, do you remember when my arm last encircled you? The crimson face turned pale as she recalled that awful midnight when he rescued her from death. Both breathed fervently. How good God has been to us! In their joy, as in fear and sorrow, they remembered him. Oh, see, cried Annie, your hands are bleeding where the burr pricked them, and you have stained my hands again. Your blood is on them, she added, almost in fear. Yes, and the best blood of my heart ever will be. Is not the blood upon us the deepest and most sacred hope of our hearts? Is it not the proof of the strongest love the world has known? Let mine there be the pledge that my life is as nothing when it can shield and shelter you. And so he changed the meaning of the omen. The hours passed unheeded. At last they went across the orchard as before, and stopped and looked at the place where the ladder fell and then at each other. 
Walter, said Annie, shyly, I gave you my first kiss here. I am repaid, then. Before going to the house, they called on Daddy Tugger. He was so amazed that he could only ejaculate, Evening! Mr. Tugger, I have acted on your suggestion, said Gregory. I thought Miss Walton would be good company forever, and I have the promise of it. To think that I should have cussed you, said the old man in an awed tone. But you will give us your blessing now, said Annie, smiling. My blessing ain't worth nothing, but I know the good Lord will bless you both, even if Miss Annie never was an awful sinner. Mr. Tugger, said Gregory, I own that place over there. Will you take me for a neighbor till you are ready to be Mr. Walton's? Oh, Walter, said Annie, with a glad cry. Is that really true? Yes, it became mine yesterday, or rather, it remained yours. Mr. Gregory, said Daddy Tugger, his quaint face twitching strangely, if anybody steals your apples, I'm afraid I'll swear at him, even yet. No, you won't, Daddy, said he, but I'm going to bring you over to spend an evening with us soon. Good-bye. They found Miss Eulie in the parlor, pensively packing up some dear little relics of a home she supposed lost. Gregory put his arm around her and said, Auntie, I'm going to claim relationship right away. Put those things back where you found them, and sit down here in the coziest corner of the hearth, your place from this time forth. How is this? she exclaimed in breathless astonishment. Well, Annie owns me, and therefore this place. Johnny came bounding in, and Gregory caught him and said, Here is the prophet of my fate. How did you tell me your Aunt Annie managed people the morning after my first arrival here? I said she kinder made people love her, and then they wanted to do as she said, replied the boy timidly. Let me tell you a secret, and he drew the boy and whispered in his ear, She is going to manage me on just those terms. Then little Susie came sidling in, and Gregory took her in his arms, saying, So dimpled, yet so false, you renounced me for a chipmunk, and now I'm going to be Aunt Annie's beau till I'm gray. Jeff next appeared with a basket of wood. Gregory gave his black hand an honest shake and said, why, Jeff, old fellow, what is the matter with you to-night? The last time I saw you, you looked as if you were driving me to the cemetery. Well, Mr. Gregory, said Jeff, ducking and shuffling, I's did come mighty near taking to turn into de cemetery dat day. I thought you looked as if you wanted to go dar. As they sat down to tea, Zibby put her head in at the door and said, De good God bless ye, for ye had kept de old woman from the cold world yet. Delighted, Hannah could not pass a biscuit without a curtsy. That evening the hickory fire glowed and turned to bright and fragrant coals as in the days past. But Annie looked wistfully toward her father's vacant chair and sighed. If father were only here. Don't grieve, darling, said Gregory tenderly. He is at home as we are. A few evenings later Gregory brought up from the city a large square bundle. "'What have you there?' said Annie, greeting him as the reader can imagine. "'Your epitaph.' "'Oh, Walter, so soon?' His answer was a smile, and quickly opening the package, he showed a rich, quaint frame containing some lines in illuminated text. 
placing it where the light fell clearly he drew her to him and said read that god sent his messenger of faith and whispered in the maiden's heart rise up and look from where thou art and scatter with unselfish hands thy freshness on the barren sands and solitudes of death o beauty of holiness of self-forgetfulness with a caress of unspeakable tenderness he said you are the maiden and god sent you to me the end end of chapter thirty five end of opening a chestnut burr by edward p rowe